Hi everyone, it's Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health, and I am at an event, an autism event in Atlanta, Georgia, called TACA, which is the Autism Community in Action. And uh, they had some great speakers here, and I was able to capture one of them, who you may recognize as Dr. Stephanie Seneff, and she's going to give us her latest updates. And uh, if you don't know who she is, she is a Senior, what is it? Senior, senior research, research scientist. Senior research scientist at probably the most prestigious academic institution in the world, at least by some some uh, agencies that evaluate that. It's MIT. Uh, so she, uh, her initial work was in was in artificial intelligence. Yes, and uh, precursors to Siri and uh, Amazon Echo. Yeah, the development so. of computer dialogue systems, spoken dialogue systems. She's got a great brain, and she's refocused her interest more in biology in recent years. And there's a fascinating story about that, but she, and she's really a champion now for helping us understand how glyphosate is an issue, and she's presented some of her five new findings here at the conference, and I just wanted to have her share them with you. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, it's been a while since we talked, or at least recorded you on an interview. Actually, you were at my house. I know, we ago. had a great time. Yeah. So. Uh, why don't you uh, give us an update? What, what's going on now with the well? Yeah, tell tell us what's new, and then I'll try to play the role of the person watching this to and interrupt you when when I think there needs some type of clarification. Or right, because things can get messy. Yeah, Science is hard, yeah. and that's one thing I'm realizing. Glyphosate is an absolutely fascinating molecule. I've become hooked on it, so to speak, and I just love the research. I love a puzzle. Yeah, and glyphosate is the mother of all puzzles in my. I'm really, um, I believe I'm zeroing in on the mechanism of toxicity, and it's unique to glyphosate, and, and insidious and cumulative, so it's extremely dangerous in the sense that it doesn't mull you over. You get small exposures to glyphosate all day long in your food, in the air, in the water, probably breathing the air from the gasoline tank, we don't know, but it's just, it's pervasive in the environment, so we can't avoid it. And the United States has the highest, uh, we use the most glyphosate per person, Per capita in this Interesting. Country. What's that country. number? Oh, I don't know the per capita okay, number. But, I don't but even know the number because it's just a huge it's number. Like, isn't it like four to five billion It's mind-bogglingly huge. Worldwide. Yes, yeah. worldwide. And then the U.S. I think uses 20% of the worldwide, okay. which is a lot compared to our population, yeah. which is only like maybe 5% of the population of the world. So we're using much more. Canada also uses a lot, and both of those countries have a lot of health issues, high autism rates, lots of autoimmune diseases, and food allergies. Alzheimer's is going up dramatically, and of course diabetes, obesity, all these things are going up dramatically in our population. We don't know why, and we see the glyphosate is perfectly correlated with many of these diseases. It's also going up exactly in step with these diseases, and there's many, many plots that I've put together to, in collaboration with other people. We've published many papers, we've shown, and I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, one of them is Dr. Sam, Anthony Samsung. Yes, right. Who I introduced you to. Yes, I know, and that, said, that is such a great story, really. It's yeah, wonderful. because I wanted you to defend, at the time it wasn't about glyphosate, it was about vitamin D, and he was giving, we were promoting your, your thesis of vitamin D sulfate. Yes. And then he would come on and just give us the hardest time. It's, I mean, you've got to come on and defend us. So, and you know, I forgot that that was how we had met, and then he insisted it was. And then I checked our notes, and sure enough, it was. Yeah. I knew that you had introduced us, but I hadn't remembered that it was because of the sulfate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had thought it was because of glyphosate because no, it was so no, perfect. No. And he's really he he had identified glyphosate as a problem personally 
because of his own personal experience with it. And now he's, you know, he has this organic garden that he grows and feeds his own family off of his own food that he grows. He's very self-sufficient. Yeah, it's a great collaboration between the both of you. He's really interesting. He's a fascinating person, very, very brilliant, and I, I've learned a lot from him. Um, and certainly, he got me started with this. <laughs> <laughs> so when I haven't stopped, I'm just uh, hung up on this on this molecule. Yeah. It is so fascinating, and I love. As I said, I love puzzles and I love biology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And biology has so many complicated metabolic pathways. Yeah, and just get lost in it. Just a little tangent here to, to augment what you just stated is that you wrote a book, a fiction book. That yes, you invited I invited me to read and I actually wrote the forward. Right, for. I know. Thanks. So and much. it really describes your story. It does, uh, yes. And process, it's just an absolutely fascinating story. I hardly ever read fiction, but I read this one. That's really And uh, What's the name of it again? Uh, Sydney and Eric is Obsession, yeah. and then it has a big subtitle about yeah. solving them. Yeah, so it really, it's, a, it's a brilliant uh, It really is essay, kind of autobiographical. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it was fun to do because I, I put a lot of science into it. I wasn't sure. I was trying to not be off-putting because I know people, their eyes glaze over with science, but I worked it in. Oh, it was good. It was good. Yeah. And of course, it was also my journey to try to figure out and, uh, cholesterol sulfate. You know, it was so interesting for me because when I first started out about maybe 10, 12 years ago, looking into autism and looking into heart disease because of personal reasons. And, uh, the two converged on the same thing, which was sulfate deficiency. Mm. And I identified that before I met glyphosate. I didn't even know the word glyphosate. No. <laughs> I saw sulfate deficiency. And then I could see how glyphosate causes, and this is what is amazing to me, glyphosate causes sulfate deficiency in so many ways. It's almost like a, it's a perfect storm. What's the mechanism? Because you wouldn't necessarily think that because it's normally a chelator. It chelates these trace minerals yes, out. Yes, and that is trouble. And it, it affects the microbiome mm -hmm. and the pathway that you and Dr. Huber described, uh, the uh, shikimate pathway. Right, right. But so how does the sulfur enter? enter yeah, it took a while to figure all that out. And it was sort of teasing me all the time, little bits and pieces. And now I've really got it worked out, I believe. And um, I think a key thing is sulfite oxidase. Uh, so sulfite oxidase. Suox? Yeah, suox. And, and, and actually, Bob Miller talked about yeah. suox this morning in his talk. Um, very, very interesting. Sulfite oxidase is a super important uh, enzyme uh, that, as you might imagine, it takes sulfite as input and it turns it into sulfate. And so if it's broken, you get too much sulfite and too little sulfate. Uh, very simple. I think I'm beginning to see the connection now. Yeah, so that's pretty much straightforward. And, uh, Sulfite is extremely toxic. Extremely, it's a very reactive molecule, like like uh, ONOO, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, peroxynitrite. Yeah, yeah, it's right up there with peroxynitrite. And people who have a defective version of sulfite oxidase have an incredibly serious genetic so, disease. So they, a genetic SNP for that. Yeah, they have a, a version that's got a problem that it doesn't work because of genetics. They, they basically have, their life is a mess. They get all kinds of metabolic problems, they get autism, they die very much, like by the age of five. I mean, it's a really devastating disorder. So that shows you it's extremely important, and also that it's connected to autism. Mm -hmm. And I've identified heparin sulfate deficiency in the, in the, in the middle of the brain, in the brain, in the ventricles, mm -hmm. you know, the cerebral spinal fluid in the ventricles. Super, super important heparin sulfate in there. And they've identified through multiple studies, both in mice and humans, mm -hmm. that heparin sulfate is deficient in the, inside that, that area of the brain, which is critical for developing the brain, the neurons grow out of that area from these precursors, um, and they um, and that whole process is orchestrated by the high heparin sulfate. So I think that's key, the, the heparin sulfate deficiency in the developmental issues that can go on in utero, and probably even beyond, you know, as you're maturing as a small child. But, um, so sulfate, so in the 
in the gut, the bugs, I mean the microbes, uh, and, and of course also the human cells are converting sulfide to sulfate using this sulfide oxidase. So if that's busted, you can't do that. Sulfide piles up. Now you've got to get rid of sulfide some other way. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that you get an overgrowth of bacteria that specialize in reducing sulfide uh, to hydrogen sulfide gas. Okay. So it's actually pretty good. Hydrogen no. sulfide gas is very, very good, interesting. Yeah, it's, but it has some benefits. It's got a bad side and a good yeah, side, yeah. like in many things. Yeah. And its good side is extremely interesting to me because what, what, what I see happens is that you get too much hydrogen sulfide gas mm -hmm. in the gut, and hydrogen sulfide can diffuse very easily through mm -hmm. everything. It can go straight through the cell membrane. It doesn't have to go along the blood channels. It can just, like a gas, it is a gas, and it can just <laughs> spread anywhere, right? Yeah. And so it goes elsewhere in the body from the gut. And when it gets to a destination site, it gets oxidized to sulfate there. Oh. This is what I think is going on. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you need, uh, ox you need oxidizing agents. Mm -hmm. You need an oxidative environment. You need inflammation. Mm -hmm. So now we have systemic inflammation. And that's behind so many modern diseases. That's something that many people are admitting. Systemic inflammation. Can we step, take a step back? Because I'm still a little bit unclear. Maybe you're getting to it, and I apologize if I'm no, go ahead. interrupting you prematurely. But the uh, increase of the sulfite is related to a, either a defect in the production of the gene or the, the enzyme. Yeah. But how does glyphosate, does glyphosate okay. affect that sulfide oxide, sulfide oxide yes. directly? Glyphosate That's what I was thinking, it. because of the glycine? Yes. Okay. Well, it, yes, it's very interesting. Okay. Actually, multiple ways. One is heme. Glyphosate has been shown to disrupt uh, the very first enzyme in the synthesis of a, of a component of heme. So glyphosate messes up heme synthesis. That's known from studies. And heme is a, is a critical uh, component of sulfide oxide. It's one of those enzymes that depends on heme. Okay. And that means it depends on iron, which glyphosate chelates, so that makes the iron a problem as well. Um, more than that, it depends on molybdenum, which is another mineral oh, that that's glyphosate could be uh, keeping up away, because glyphosate binds these minerals and makes them unavailable. So it needs both iron and molybdenum, and it's got multiple sites of extremely uh, uh, highly preserved highly conserved glycine residues, where if those glycines are mutated something else, like this, this, uh, these mutations that cause these horrible diseases, some of them are glycine mutations. So there's certain glycines in that, in SUOX, mm -hmm. that are absolutely critical for it to work properly. And this is where my idea of glycine substitution comes in. Mm -hmm. Because um, I believe that in certain proteins, in certain spots, glyphosate is able to get into the protein by mistake in place of the amino acid glycine. And just to, to understand that, glyphosate is a complete glycine molecule. It's a perfect match to glycine, except that it has extra material stuck onto its nitrogen atom. So when the, the protein that's going to recognize glycine in order to put it into the DNA has to leave the nitrogen atom outside of its pocket because the nitrogen has to hook up with the next amino acid. So the fact that the nitrogen has some stuff on it doesn't matter to it. It says, oh, I have to fake fit exactly glycine, very tightly. Glycine is the smallest amino acid. In order to distinguish glycine from all the other amino acids, all I need to do is make sure that I make some tiny space that fits only glycine. Alanine won't fit because it's got an extra methyl group attached to a carbon. Glyphosate will fit because it's a perfect glycine molecule, except the nitrogen is sticking outside of that pocket yeah. so that it can hook. So the nitrogen, the extra stuff on the nitrogen is not a constraint. This is important because I think a lot of people think, oh, it can't happen. Well, so I was going to mention that because this is this is a really highly controversial is. issue, and even in, in people who are in our camp, I know, you know, because <laughs> of the biochemistry of it. And exactly. People 
well-respected research scientists disagree, pretty, disagree pretty strongly with you. Yes. So, I, and this isn't proven, there's no science, it's, right. it's, it's, it's theoretical, but it makes a lot of sense. It certainly does, and it makes more and more sense the more I study. First of all, from the standpoint of which enzymes are getting disrupted by glyphosate, and I can find these places where it would substitute to mess up, including, of course, EPSP synthase, which is the enzyme that, this is how I started with it, because EPSP synthase is the enzyme in the shikimate pathway that glyphosate disrupts, famously disrupts, they know that. And they've studied it, there's lots of papers on it. It's very, very interesting. Monsanto knew this for many years. Monsanto <laughs> has done those papers, yeah. and the papers are amazing because, uh, uh, it, and when you add it all up, it just seems, I don't understand why they're not saying, oh, of course, this is why, this is what explains everything, that it's substituting for that glycine, because there's a glycine residue in that molecule, this EPSP synthase, at the place where glyphosate disrupts things. Mm. And that glycine uh, forms part of a shape, and that shape fits a phosphate phosphate anion that's part of a, of a, of a precursor, a, sub, a substrate called PEP, phosphoenol pyruvate. So the phosphate of phosphoenol pyruvate fits into a pocket that the enzyme forms out of its particular amino acid. Which enzyme again? EPSP synthase. Um, and so the enzyme forms the shape which fits the phosphate. And so, um, and the glycine is part of that shape. And there are also other amino acids that have positive charge strategically positioned to attract the phosphate. It's phosphate has negative charge. So those other uh, amino acids inside the, the enzyme uh, help to hold the phosphate in place, attracting the negative charge. So when the enzyme is being assembled... It's, it's ion, ionic attraction. Yeah, yeah, ionic attraction. Yeah, it's not a bond. Yeah. Um, but it helps to sort of bring it in. And so what's happening, I think, is when the enzyme is being assembled, it gets to the point where it needs to, the enzyme is built like beads on a string, and it shapes as it's being built. So it's shaping into a perfect shape to say, okay, we can attract negative charge here. And glyphosate is just like a pig and shit getting into there because it's like, okay, there's my glycine match. Uh, there's my negative charge. I need to put a phosphate. I can put my methylphosphonyl group right comfortably where that phosphate is supposed to go. And I am good to go. So it'll go right into that enzyme and then build it beautifully, except that there's no spot for the phosphate that is in the substrate to fit. So now the enzyme's dead in the water. It can't do its job. Now that's that's how shikimate pathway gets disrupted. Yes. And perhaps some people watching this aren't familiar with that. So maybe you could describe a little bit about the shikimate pathway. Yes. So the shikimate pathway is a uh, is a really important pathway in plants and in many microbes, and it uh, it produces the aromatic amino acids, and those are among the amino acids that are the building blocks of proteins, just like lysine, uh, tryptophan, tyrosine, and phenylalanine. Mm -hmm. Super super important. They're not only part of the building blocks of proteins, which would already be pretty drastic, but they're also precursors to all the neurotransmitters, uh, dopamine, serotonin, melatonin, and the melanin skin tanning agent. They're also precursors to certain B vitamins, like folate and I think niacin. Well, specifically uh, NAD+. Plus. Yes, NAD+, it's, plus it's comes, one from, of, it's one of it comes from niacin, which comes the, from uh, tryptophan. The noble pathway. Yes, tryptophan, right. It's a small percentage. Yes. but. I didn't think it was clinically significant, but it turns out it is because if you're low in NAD+, which is, you know, we're not going to go off on a tangent, but many people are for a variety of reasons. Yeah. I think EMF is a big one. That's another one I can talk about. <laughs> yeah, and all we can go into this, but when that goes down, yeah. then, maybe you talk, talk to me, then the, the body grabs that tryptophan and, and all these other important benefits of tryptophan get yeah, diminished. Yes, that's right. And of course, if Did, you, are you the one that told me that? I might very well okay, be. I think, yeah. Okay, so that is your telling. Let me back what I told yeah, you. Yeah. So tryptophan, of course, then 
producing serotonin and melatonin. That's why you get sleep disorder. Sleep disorder is one of the uh, diseases that's going up exactly in step with glyphosate usage on corn crops because of the melatonin problem, I suspect, in part. And there's other reasons, too, because of the sulfate deficiency. That's going to disrupt sleep as well. Um, so anyway, getting back to this EPSP synthase is really fascinating. And they found that, so this, the researchers found that there were, uh, the way they discovered um, the, the version of EPSP synthase that they insert into the GMO crops, so they make these uh, Roundup-ready crops, glyphosate resistant, they do that by inserting a bacterial version of EPSP synthase. Oh, that's what makes it resistant. Yeah, and that bac bacterial version has allene instead of glycine at that spot. Interesting. Very, very interesting. That's powerful confirmation for your theory. Absolutely, and there's a recent paper that's really fascinating. It comes out of DuPont, Dow DuPont, I was really uh, blown away by this paper because um, it talked about they're doing CRISPR technology. This is absolutely terrifying. CRISPR technology to tweak the genes of the uh, plant so as to make it glyphosate resistant uh, without to make it glyphosate resistant uh, without having to put a bacterial gene in there. And in CRISPR, they concluded that regulators have concluded that CRISPR is not a GMO, GMO technology, which is pretty shocking to me. And therefore, they can do CRISPR, and they can produce a non-GMO glyphosate-resistant crop by tweaking its own genome and not bringing in somebody else's genome. And the first thing they did in tweaking it was to get rid of that glycine residue. Mm. They knew, first, we're going to get rid of glycine, and then that takes a hit on the enzyme. The enzyme doesn't work as well because it's got alanine there. It's got that extra methyl group. It's in the way, the same problem that glyphosate causes. But it's a much smaller problem because methyl is much smaller mm. than the methyl cosmolyl group. It's just the methyl no cosmolyl. So it's, uh, it's a smaller problem. So then they sort of tweaked, they, they, they designed, it's, a, it's fascinating, the paper. Because they said, okay, well, Is this a recent paper? Yeah, a recent paper. And I don't know the title of it, I don't know the author. You only have to say that we, we can put what is our Yeah, Dow DuPont, really fascinating. And, uh, Are they the same company? There are two different ones. I think it was the two of them together. Oh. I don't oh, think they yeah. joined. They're, they're, DuPont is unquestionably, yeah. probably as evil as Monsanto. Yeah, I know, I'm learning that. Oh my gosh, there's some they, they made Teflon essentially. Actually, they didn't make it. I think it was Dow that invented it. Yeah, and then they and then Dow had some integrity and realized, no, this thing is too dangerous. We I have see. to stop. Oh, they stop. We have to stop making it. So Dupont, like, bought the rights to it or something. The rights and started making it, yeah. and they're they're the ones that are perpetuating this crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, but anyway, sorry. That's an interesting. It's an, inter it's an interesting tangent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, so then they uh, so they figured out that if we change some other amino acids over here, we make a little more room to account for this methyl that's in the way. Because the enzyme was only hurt by a small amount, glyphosate was completely dead in the water. Because glyphosate could no longer substitute, whereas the enzyme just had a little bit less room. So it's not, you know, so it's not nearly as drastic for the enzyme as it is for the glyphosate. And, and so the easy explanation is that glyphosate could no longer substitute because there was alanine instead of glycine. There's no coke. It can't work. And, and so, um, and that's also true for E. coli. E. coli had a natural uh, mutation where they lost the glycine. And there's a paper, that, a lovely paper, that shows that glyphosate at incredibly high levels, they had a whole range, and the enzyme just worked beautifully all the way through and never got affected by glyphosate. Whereas the original molecule with the glycine there got clobbered by the glyphosate and very consistently worse with more. So it just basically outcompeting the glycine in assembling in that protein to mess it up. So and uh, they also have another paper talked about a thousand, more than a thousand different analogs of glyphosate. They basically, you know, change one uh, atom with, with put something else in there, and um, 
and make a new molecule. And they made like all these different molecules that were very similar in shape and biophysical characteristics to glyphosate. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm going to edit this out. I just wanted to, where's your microphone? It's left. Yeah, that's okay. Um, we'll see. Hopefully. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, so you can edit this back in. I thought that. I said, I don't see your microphone. So, yeah, well, let's make it a little bit over here so I can still see it. Actually, let me just move this a little bit. I think the problem is it's too close to the and place the slit. thousand different analogs of glyphosate and none of them worked. Only glyphosate worked. And they, and they were puzzled. But you know, I would think they would have said, hey, maybe it's substituting for that glycine residue. It's like it's screaming at them and they don't see it. That's what's so fascinating to me. So anyway, so once I realized um, the significance of this, and I even found a paper that talked about um, phosphate binding. Really, there's a lot of interesting papers out there. And it was specifically interested in the, uh, the class, of the big class and several different classes of proteins that bind phosphate, because phosphate is super important. It's in a lot of really important molecules, like ATP, NADPH, um, FAD, FMN, um, GTP, uh, I mean, there's just you know, G, uh, glucose 6-phosphate, G6P, all these different, uh, and PEP, of course, which is yeah, the yeah. one that is in EPSP synthase. There's a lot of, uh, in fact, phosphate is added to uh, to molecules to make them more reactive. So it's sort of a step that's done in biology, like glucose 6-phosphate, in order to be able to make them more reactive so they can go on and do other things, you know, build, make some And plastic too. It's, it's typically one of the minerals yes. that are added in fertilizer. Phosphate is definitely a very important fertilizer, which shows you that phosphate is super, super important uh, in biology. Um, as, and AGP, of course, has three phosphates attached to the adenosine, and it's that third phosphate gallophosphate that gets taken off to make ADP, and that's an, an energy driver for many, for example, myosin, a muscle protein. Myosin contracts by converting ATP to ADP. So it binds the phosphate of ATP. And at that binding site, it has a highly conserved glycine. Actually, that's three highly conserved glycine residues, but the middle one in particular, very, very important. If that gets mutated, the protein's dead in the water, it can't contract. Same story all over again for myosin. And myosin is, is an important contractile protein in the gut for the, uh, to move the, the feces through the, through the gut. And so if myosin gets paralyzed, you're, you're going to get impaired peristalsis, you're going to get placebo because you know, you, you, things get backed up, you get um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you get a lot of problems with your gut because the myosin is not able to contract. You'll get constipation, of course. And, and these are all connected to, to autism, these problems. And so I think the myosin in the gut is being poisoned by the glyphosate in the same way that the EPSP synthase in the, in the cicumate pathway is being poisoned. And that because of this glycine at this place where phosphate is supposed to bind, sets up a beautiful environment for throwing glyphosate in place of glycine in the protein itself. Well, I just want to interrupt here to not get you too discouraged because there are some good things we're going to talk about, but it's important to understand the basics of the problem, the foundational reasons why it's wrong, so we can understand the solutions. So yeah. Continue. Right. So I mean, so that's another one, myosin. So I think in myosin, even people who have um, chronic fatigue syndrome, I'm suspecting glyphosate's getting into their muscles and disrupts their myosin. So you can start to think about. Have you discussed that before? 
I don't know if I talked. Yeah, because you're right. Oh, yeah, Nate failed to mention your exactly to mention that you're writing a book about this. I am writing a book. I'm having a good time. It's a very big challenge to try to write it. I want to cover the chemistry, and I want to keep it from being so. Uh, so difficult that nobody wants to read it. So it's a very difficult task. But it's important, you know, to get that yeah. right because yeah. you have to understand that that there's strong reality behind these these assertions. Right. I mean, I think if I don't cover the chemistry, then I'm not doing justice for the. Um, there's not many people that can cover zoology. So. <laughs> so it's it's fun, and I'm very preoccupied with the book. I'm having a lot of fun with the research because I'm still not done with the research, of course, and I keep on coming. But there was this one paper that looked at um, all the different uh, proteins that uh, bind phosphate, various kinds of phosphate-containing molecules, and looking at the uh, at the binding the site that binds phosphate to see if there's a generalization mm -hmm. of what goes on there. And what they found was a glycine. You know, absolutely at least one, sometimes three glycines. Really important to give room because glycine is a small molecule. You need to have room for that phosphate. And then two was to have strategically positioned positive uh, amino acids, amino acids that have a positive charge, a plus charge, so that they can attract the phosphate to come into that site. So those two principles apply to so many different proteins. And in all of those cases, it's a setup for glyphosate. So I think to, to look at those particular proteins that bind phosphate and that have the highly conserved glycine, and then you can look for um, mutations in that glycine. Sometimes you don't find any because I think it's so essential that mm -hmm. you die. You're so happy. Yeah, you're dead. Yeah. So you don't get that when you don't come out of the water. Right, exactly. So, uh, and then, um, you know, and then to look for um, different diseases that are connected to the de de defective uh, function of that particular protein. And that's how you can discover a lot of, uh, you can form links to explain why glyphosate would cause various diseases, such as autism, which is a good example. So, um, well, it's got to be a challenge doing that type of research because it's, yeah. I mean, it's, in some ways it's easier to the others because you're building other people's uh, advancement of the, of the science, but you're like discovering new science. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it's a, it's a whole different level of investigative research journals. Yeah, and it's interesting to do it entirely by reading papers. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, and I think that not enough people are doing that work. I think that kind of work is not easily funded to just pay somebody to read papers and write papers. No. I mean, because everyone has responsibilities. And it takes a lot of time. It takes hours a day, every day. But also, they always want you to be doing new research. You're in right, the lab, right. you're doing some study. Uh, but there's all this research out there and all these papers published. And if someone would step back and and, and really absorb the, all of that knowledge and then synthesize the story out of it, we can really make a lot of headway on explaining things and yeah. how biology is working. And it's a very good example with this phosphate binding thing because this gets into the NAD oxidase problem. And what's really interesting to me, and this is also related to autism, the red blood cells have a tremendous responsibility to keep NADPH in its reduced state. They use glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, G6PD. Well, let's stop here. Because okay. this is a really important topic. Yes. And you and I, it's, I mean, we could keep on going forever on this stuff, but most everyone watching this doesn't know what NADPH is. Okay, good. So let's just sidetrack there and yes. help them understand and appreciate this because it is like just about as important as ATP. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And uh, and what's interesting, of course, it goes to glutathione as well. Yeah. Also vitamin C. Yeah. Well, you need it to catalyze glutathione. Yeah. So glutathione and vitamin C are really they important. They recharge it too. Exactly. So those yeah. are important antioxidants, glutathione and vitamin C, and they're really important for mopping up all these free radicals that are going to damage your tissues. And um, 
they have to be in the reduced state in order to be able to work. And in order for them to get into the reduced state, you need to oxidize an ADPH. And reduced state means they have a surplus, or at least an electron they can yes, donate. they can donate an electron. To neutralize the free radical. Right, and so you need to give that electron back to them so they can donate again. It's like they gave away the football. Now you've got to give it back to them before they can give it away again. And it's the NADPH that um, keeps them in that reduced state by essentially giving up its electron to them, becoming a UV plus. And then it's the responsibility of glucose, actually, sugar, mm -hmm. to bring it back down. Because glucose is a really good reducing agent. And so it's going to take the NADP plus and turn it back into NADP through G6PD, glucose 6 phosphate dehydrogenase. Yeah. yeah, so that, that Which is the, is super, super important. And that, and that enzyme defect, genetic SNPs, is the most common genetic disease in the world. I know that, and that is extremely interesting. Yeah. And it makes sense because it's so, so important and because it's under siege. I think it may be. I am I'm suspecting that. Um, Mutations are happening more often in, uh, in proteins that are under stress. That there's some mechanism that's able to recognize this protein's in trouble, and it needs to be tweaked. And so they sort of up the ante uh, on the uh, mutation rate. Very interesting. Very, yeah. yeah, and that's particularly interesting because I found a paper that talked about the mutation rate of all the different amino acids. And, um, and they found two, and I forget, I think it was aspartate that was the most uh, commonly mutated. And they could explain it on the basis of the DNA, that there were certain the cytosines that were more susceptible to mutation could make sense in terms of the DNA, that it would be more mutated because of its code. And, but, and then they said glycine was number two, had the most uh, mutations of any other amino acid. And they didn't know why, they couldn't explain no. it. <laughs> <laughs> and furthermore, they said glycine next, next to glycine, two glycines in a row, was especially susceptible. Wow. And that's very interesting because glycine is small, yeah. Glyphosate has, has It's the smallest room. amino acid. Yes, and glyphosate needs room because it's got that extra methyl phosphonyl group. So if you've got glycine next door, you've got more room to, to put your methyl phosphonyl group. It's going to be more susceptible to glyphosate substitution. Yeah, and let me just add to the, the other important variables with NADPH is that it's absolutely required to make fatty acids. In fact, right. making fatty acids is the biggest consumer of NADPH. Yeah, and then nucleic acids, the elements of your DNA, yeah. And cholesterol. You can't make cholesterol with NADPH. You are telling me things I didn't know, and I need to go back and yeah, it is like roles of NADPH. Oh, it is just so massively important, and almost virtually no one appreciates it. So interesting. Yeah, and you know, and I think this is maybe one of the reasons why statins work is because they lower cholesterol synthesis by by inhibiting HMG coenzyme reductase. So you're not making this cholesterol, and you need NADPH in that reaction. So you, you actually increase NADPH. NADPH. You get more NADPH by virtue of Which is a good thing. Right. You know, you recharge your It's such a good thing that it's worth sacrificing it, it, your cholesterol, right? Well, so it, I, mean, I don't think it's, it's a good thing overall, but some yeah. people do appear to receive clinical right. benefit from taking steps. Actually, that's a really good But thing. it's not at all related to cholesterol reduction. No, I know that. And in fact, they always say it's because of the antioxidant. Which would be true if you yeah, but that, that, that's my theory. I didn't read it. I just kind of put it that together. A lot. But the, and then so there's uh, Stephen Gundry goes into the inflammatory component with the toll receptors, and, and uh, Malcolm Kendrick believes it's by increasing nitric oxide. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of ways. Not, I don't think right. any of it's proven one way or the other, but, it's, know, but we know it doesn't work by lowering cholesterol. I know. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I, of course, and I that's how you got into this for your husband. That's right. Put on statins, so. Yes, and he's been doing very well without the statins. For Many years. <laughs> so, um, 
So that, so that's so that's the thing. Yeah, so let's get back to that. Red blood cells. So the glycine gets into the blood. That's clear. So, so how now? What's the connection between? Is it the NOx in the, in NOx the red blood cells, or is it the uh, the NADPH? Well, so the uh, oh the NOx. NOx is NADPH oxidase, and it consumes NADPH as a fuel. So it's right. a good thing you need it. If you don't have it, you're going to be dead from some type of infection. Yeah. But if you have activated too much, oh boy, you got big problems. No more NADPH. Right. Exactly. So if NOx is, is running uh, too much, you, uh, so it's it's a NOx, NOx the issue in the red blood cell. Well, it's a G6PD because glucose is phosphatidylhydrogenases big time in the red blood cells, and I think that it's their big responsibility to keep all of those antioxidants in their reduced form. And you, do you know why that is? Do I know why that is? Yeah. Oh, you seem to know. <laughs> well, I think it's because my red blood cells are one of the only cells in the body that don't have mitochondria. Oh yes. So they, the only way idea. they can Absolutely. create energy is through anaerobic fermentation or glycolysis, where right. G6PD comes in play. Yes, that's yeah. right. They they manage glucose. It's interesting because they have a lot of oxygen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plenty of oxygen. Don't use it, and they don't have any mitochondria, which is so yeah. fascinating. And that's probably because it's too dangerous to have mitochondria. Yeah, that's given that's what the, they do, that's what many and people that's believe. why they do what they do. You know, so it makes sense. Yeah. And because so, it is, it is odd. So like, yeah, wow. glucose is a very good uh, reducing agent, and so glucose is busy turning NADP plus into NADPH through this enzyme, which has two phosphate binding sites. G6PD has two phosphate binding sites. Two, yeah, it's really interesting. It has a spare. It has a, a binds NADP plus uh, to get rid of NADPH, and then it has a second NADPH plus that it binds on its tail. It's really interesting, and I found a wonderful paper where they were puzzling over that. It was like, oh, why is it binding over here? And they had a theory, which was cool, that it's sort of a pipeline. So it got the other one ready to go. And as soon as it gets got this one done, kick it off, get this one on. It's got it ready to go. So it's sort of like a, a staging where, where the second one comes on um, so that it's very convenient to get it to where it needs to go, to, to do very efficiently to convert. And so it's got two places with the potential to get messed up by glyphosate and all. Interesting. Yeah. Man, I did not realize that was yet another mechanism of, of actually lowering NADPH. Yeah, right. Wow. It's huge, I think. Yeah, but, but like virtually no one would get it because they don't know what NADPH is, little, you know, the I significance know. of it. It's not spoken about enough. It's really very, very important. And, and part of that reason, that if I could just give you a little backstory, because I'm, I'm investigating this really carefully for one of the next books I'm writing, which is on EMF, and it's, it plays a big role is that it's been known for, actually, Otto Warburg. Yes, got, I know I think he got, he got one Nobel Prize, but he was nominated for many others, things, but he got one, 1930. He yeah. discovered NAD. Uh, so it's been known yeah, for a long time. You know, 80 years we've known about yes. NAD and NADPH. Right. But it didn't really start to come into clinical appreciation until like the, the 21st century when they discovered the sirtuins, longevity protein. Which consume an AD. Ah. So then all this focus has been on those molecules. So it's not really widely appreciated because yeah. of that. Because it's just, oh, that's just an AD. You, know, you, well, you need it in the mitochondria that it doesn't do anything it's else. It's interesting how certain molecules get so much attention and certain other ones get neglected. You yeah. know, it's just biology is such a huge space. Yeah. And, and, and it seems like the research community gets hung up on one thing and drills down deep and, and neglects something else. And that's certainly true for sulfate. I felt um, sulfate is definitely underappreciated. What, do you have any reasons why you think it might be? <laughs> I could be. I could use a paranoid reason that, that, that Monsanto knows that glyphosate messes it up. And well, that's you know that's a corporate financial motivation. But 
what about you know the, the broader research community uh, also doesn't have this appreciation? So why do you think I that don't is? Know. Why do you have do you have a thought? No, I mean I'm not. I have you know I don't know. Maybe it's just because there's so many things going on in their own their own little world that they just don't get it. You know, and, yeah, there, and there really hasn't been any block through breakthrough yeah. on, on or block through block breakthrough uh, de development technology like. Uh, like autophagy or the yeah. discovery of nitric oxide, you know, where there's Nobel Prizes work, so there's a lot of focus on that, where there really hasn't been some comparable sulfur. Yeah, I mean, there should be, because I find it really fascinating. And, and what I learned early on, again, before glyphosate, was that there are all, all these molecules that are sulfated in transit, really important biological molecules that are sulfated in transit. And that vitamin D is one of them. Yeah, vitamin D. Right, vitamin D sulfate. sulfate. And um, cholesterol sulfate, of course, yeah. is one that I'm very fond of. And, um, and then there's all these neurotransmitters, you know, um, uh, <laughs> so do, dopamine, do you, sulfate. Do you think that their, their primary role is to just transport it, or is there another well, is benefit or role for that actual transport? So one molecule. thing is when you sulfate these molecules, they become more water-soluble. Mm -hmm. It's categorically true. For right. These yeah. molecules are all sort of not very water-soluble. You put a sulfate on the water, so that makes sense. But in a sense, they said, oh yeah, well this is why, therefore that's done, we understand. So you can travel in the blood and be distributed. Yeah, so you can move it around right, without having to package it up inside LDL or something like that, because it can just go freely in the blood, you can sulfate it. And, um, which is important, which is great, but I think there's another purpose, which is to transport the sulfate. That they are actually carrying sulfate on their backs and delivering it to wherever they go. Yeah. Because they have to let the sulfate go before they can go into the cell. They won't, they're not active when they have sulfate on them, pretty much all of them become inactivated when they have sulfate. So it's a dual purpose. So there, so it's a beautiful mechanism because it's basically, sulfate's hard to transport because it gels the blood. Mm -hmm. That's the feature of it. It gels the blood uh, along the lining of all the capillaries. It's stuck to the capillary lining all over the blood vessels. You've got these sulfates sprinkled all over. And those sulfates are creating this gelled water, like gelatin, that coats the edge of the blood vessel and makes it very slick so the red blood cells can just slide right through the capillary without resistance. Very, very important. How does heparin come into this? How does what? Heparin. Heparin, yeah, heparin. Well, that's heparin sulfate is yeah. what is in those, um, the lining of those blood vessels. And and heparin is the most highly sulfated molecule known to biology. Interesting. That's a nice little sulfate. tidbit. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and heparin can actually supply sulfate to the capillary wall. It actually can stick there and supply it. And so, um, so heparin becomes important in that respect. Um, but the uh, sulfate transport then, so I think the neurotransmitters, I think one of their goal purposes, and perhaps even one of their most important purposes, is to transport sulfate, um, can, can carry it to the site where they drop it off. And they're basically saying, their signal is, hey, I'm going to give you your sulfate, you know, in a sense. And so all these, the, the uh, sex hormones, you know, testosterone, estrogen, Estrone sulfate, uh, testosterone sulfate, uh, melatonin sulfate, they're all sulfated in transit. And of course, cholesterol, vitamin D. So, so it's all of the sterols and all of these uh, derivatives of the aromatic amino acids that glyphosate is disrupting. So you're going to have a deficiency in the aromatics because of the blockage of the, uh, of the pathway in the bacteria. And that's going to have a deficiency in sulfate transport. Oh, man, that just ties it all together. Okay, little break. Editor. I'm going to switch this. Darn, jean jackets.
okay, now, okay, now you can go back in. Okay. <laughs> so that is brilliant. I cannot believe it. It's, it makes so much sense. Yeah. When you tie all the pieces, it's it, it, just like you said earlier, it's a giant it's puzzle. A giant puzzle. It's a like 10,000 piece puzzle and you just put, to put all the pieces yeah. in it. It starts to make sense. It's very thrilling. I mean, yeah. it's really, people who love puzzles can appreciate the thrill. Yeah. When I find a new paper and it's like, oh my God, this fits so perfect. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, Wow, man! All right, so is there are there any more puzzle pieces you want to provide us before we go into some of the exciting solutions? Well, can, because it's important. Yeah, I can tell you one more thing about okay, sulfate. Sure. So sulfate gets um, activated um, by a process uh, using an enzyme that converts it to something called PAPS, phosphoadenosulfate. PAPS, phosphoadenosulfosulfate. Okay. PAPS. Okay. And that enzyme. An ad, I'm assuming that's adenine, right? It's got ATP, so that enzyme binds two ATP molecules. That means it binds two phosphates, right? Okay. And it produces uh, something that's got two phosphates in it, PAPS. It actually takes, it steals the terminal phosphate from one of the ATP molecules to make it ADP, and it sticks it onto the other ATP molecule. And it takes off two phosphates and sticks sulfate in place of it. So it does a lot of stuff. It's got two parts to it, that enzyme, and it's got a, a, a binder region. And so, in fact, sometimes some animals have those two enzymes separately, but we've got them combined in one giant mm -hmm. enzyme, uh, PAP synthase, which has all kinds of incredibly important glycine residues in it, and many of which are associated with these phosphate binding sites. So that enzyme, which makes the activated form of sulfate, is likely disrupted by glyphosate for the same reason as G6PD would be disrupted. Mm. And therefore, if you can't make, if you can't turn sulfate into PAPS, you can't add sulfate to anything. Did I, I think I may miss, what does PAPS do? PAPS is the activated form of sulfate. So what happens is when something, so there's these sulfatases, those are enzymes that take sulfate off of things. Mm -hmm. And then there are these sulfotransferases, which put sulfates onto things. And in between, the sulfate gets converted to PAPS. Oh, so it's intermediate it on, transition. It has to be energized by being bound to ATP in order to be able to get onto the... So this would be crucial for the sulfate transporter? Sulfate transfer, like the, like yeah. Sulfate transfer from point A to point B is okay. going to be blocked. If you don't have PAPS, you caps, you're you can't make, Yeah, you can't, PAPS isn't working. Okay. And that's very, very interesting. Another thing that's interesting is there's a paper on E. coli, and, and they exposed these E. coli to glyphosate, and they did a big meta-analysis of all their different proteins to see which ones were suppressed and which ones were uh, activated. And they, had a, and they had a big appendix with a whole list of things of all these proteins that were affected. So many, many proteins were disrupted by glyphosate in terms of being changing their activation state, you know, whether they're made or not. Um, and a whole bunch of proteins that uh, were ATP binding sites, there were about maybe eight or ten of them, ATP binding sites were um, stimulated by glyphosate. They, they were increased production, which is, I think, because they're defective. They're not working because they can't bind because of the phosphate problem. And therefore, we have to make more of it. So I think that's very interesting too. Just another little piece of the puzzle that yeah. supports the idea that um, enzymes that bind phosphate are in trouble with glyphosate categorically. And I haven't found—I don't think I've found any enzymes that bind phosphate that don't have at least one glycine at that phosphate binding site. So you've really uh, expanded. Yes. The understanding of the 
damage that glyphosate does. Right, exactly. It's, it's not restricted to shikimate pathways. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it for sure. Yeah. And it's not restricted to binding these these trace minerals, especially molybdenum. I didn't understand the, the connection. Yeah, well, I'm not sure about molybdenum because I have not been able to find a paper that explicitly says it binds molybdenum. However, molybdenum. I don't think I've been no, it's it's said, um, but what, what, I, that what doesn't that? mean it doesn't, it just means they haven't looked. Okay, so what, is, it, what, is, it, what is, is it like, what is acknowledged? The category is plus two cations, and okay. molybdenum is a plus, plus two cation, so it's in the category, but no one has explicitly said, as far as I can tell, that it is one of them. I've been looked, because I've wanted to find them. So, I mean, the other plus twos would be calcium. Yeah, yeah, magnesium, zinc, so, uh, cobalt, and, and manganese are actually the so, most effective. Do you think the fact that calcium magnesium typically, I mean, you haven't mentioned it in any of your preceding information, it is, is not an issue because we have so much magnesium and yeah, calcium? Yeah, I think those it's are sufficiently yeah, available in the yeah. yeah. the, the more minor ones like cobalt and manganese are ones that Oh, manganese. That, I was confusing manganese, manganese with molybdenum. Manganese yeah. definitely. Manganese is the big one. That one is well done. That one is really interesting, actually. What's the connection with manganese now? Well, I mean, manganese because it's obviously through some critical enzyme function yeah. that we're, we're, we're not appreciating. Yeah, is really, really interesting. And it starts with the lactobacillus, because lactobacillus are, uh, are unique and interesting that they use manganese for their antioxidant activities. Manganese is an important part of their antioxidant management, protecting themselves from oxidative damage. And, uh, and that's unique to them. They don't use iron, for example. They use manganese uh, instead of iron, whatever iron might be normally done. And, and they get clobbered by glyphosate. Uh, bifidobacteria and lactobacillus are very susceptible to glyphosate. Wow, so that's, a, that's an independent of the sugar pathway. Yes, yes. Wow. And, um, and then, so then, of course, lactobacillus are really, really important to um, the infant because that's the milk. They, they, they drink milk, basically. And, um, and it's been shown that when you have low lactobacillus, you can have anxiety, you know, depression. These things are connected to uh, lactobacillus deficiency. Uh, manganese is what is a catalyst for the conversion of glutamate to glutamine. And that is also okay, super this is, important. Yes. So this is a big one. So <laughs> listen carefully. Yeah, and autism has been very clearly linked to high glutamate and low glutamine. In the blood, there was a study that did looked at all the different amino acids in the blood for mm -hmm. autistic kids compared to controls. And they found everybody was in sort of statistically insignificantly different, except for two, glutamate and glutamine. Way too much glutamate, way too little glutamine for the autistic kids, mm -hmm. which suggests a manganese deficiency problem, you know, because that could explain it, because the glutamate is not getting converted to glutamine. Because How about the other way around? Like diet, you would think most of the glutamine is coming from the diet. It is. It is. It's not the smallest. It's the most. I believe it's the most common amino acid in our diet. Is gluten. Oh really? I believe, wow. I'm pretty confident it is. So, but you're discussing the reverse. Yeah, reverse yeah. So what about glutamine to glutamate? Does it go? Is that an issue too? I don't know. I haven't okay. researched that. So. Okay. So it's the other way around. Yeah, so how do we get the excess? And the excess glutamate is a neurotoxin, so that's a problem. Right, so it's not, normally you have the glutamate, and we'll talk about how we get the glutamate, but, but it's converted to glutamine, which is beneficial, unless you get too much, because it actually activates mTOR too, which inhibits uh, autophagy. So you, the timing is key, it's just <laughs> so key. But if you, uh, so it, it'll increase the glutamate because it's not being degraded, but how do you get too much glutamate? How do you get too much? Yeah. Like in your diet? Well, the MSG. Well, it's, it's, I, I get it. That's one obvious one. But I mean, is there some metabolic pathway that accumulates? Well, if you can't turn it to glutamine, because in fact, in the brain. But, the, but if we don't need MG, MSG, it's not going to be an issue. No, no, no. It's in all the proteins. It's, there's plenty of glutamate in the proteins. 
Glutamates in the proteins? Yes. Glutamate, glutamate are both amino acids that are coding amino acids. Oh man, I feel like foolish. Glutamate is an amino acid? Yes. It's not, an, it's not one of the 20. I mean, it is. Glutamate? Yes. How did I not remember that? <laughs> glutamate is an amino acid. Yes, and yes. Glutamate is too, both of them. Man, I just... Okay. Wait, does this have another name, glutamate? It's glutamic acid. acid. That's why. That's, that's why. Sick. Yeah. That, like aspartic acid and the glutamic acid. Yeah, that's so that's why I was messing it up. It's yeah. like, you know, I don't remember that from biochemistry. Uh, that's right, glutamic okay. acid glutamic and aspartic acid. acid. Okay. Both of those are negatively charged. Okay. Both of those are actually right. now I'm getting it. Like oh, okay. Now it makes sense. Because I mean, this, I, mean I didn't make the connection that glutamate is just another term for glutamic acid. Yeah, that's confusing. And it depends upon the pH as far as whether it's an acid or not. You know? Okay, so that's how we get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Right. And glutamate, so it's interesting with the neurons, because the neurons use glutamate as a neurotransmitter. It's very, very important for transmitting signals. And they release the glutamate into the synapse. And then the, uh, the astrocytes very quickly take the glutamate out. They clear it really fast. Um, and they convert it to glutamate using manganese. And then... Uh, is, there, is there a specific enzyme they use? Yeah, glutamate synthase. Okay. And that's also got, I think that's got glycine dependencies as well, but I, I kind of go back and check. Probably. Yeah. Um, many of the enzymes do, and some of them snort more than others, but um, anyway, glutamine synthase um, produces glutamine, and then the glutamine is shipped back to the neurons. They take up the glutamine, and then they convert it to glutamate and hide it inside these little organelles, you know, to protect, uh, because they know glutamate is very reactive, so they have to keep it safe. So there's a whole mechanism that prevents glutamate from being out in the general environment, because that would be bad. Um, because, and that's through the astrocytes. They convert it to glutamine, ship it back, and then it gets converted inside the neurons. And so if the astrocytes can't convert the glutamate to glutamine, you're going to get neuroexcitotoxicity. And glyphosate has been shown to cause that in the hippocampus, in the mouse. They've done studies where they expose mm -hmm. them to glyphosate, and they've even done in vitro studies. So both uh, of these, uh, in the animal as well as in vitro, they've shown that glyphosate ex uh, excites the NIMDA receptors, causes this excess glutamate. And blocks the uh, conversion, yeah, and blocks the conversion of glutamate um, to glutamine. So all because of the manganese. Uh, yeah, the manganese blocking the the chelation of manganese from the body tissue stores yes. and also from the diet. Right. Then this uh, glutamine synthase will not work well. Right, and it's even more interesting with manganese. I think we did a whole paper. Anthony and I did a paper on manganese. It was really fascinating to read about manganese, and uh, there's a called manganism, which is very much like Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. That's too much manganese? Too much manganese in the brainstem. And it's caused by like a welder. He's breathing this air that has the manganese. It goes into his nose and it goes up into his nasal cavity. And it travels along the olfactory nerve into the brainstem nuclei and poisons them. It's too much manganese. Very, very interesting. Manganese is a, has an unusual property that can travel very well along nerve fibers. And so I think um, when you look at glyphosate, disrupting the bile acid. So first of all, glyphosate disrupts the side enzymes in the liver, side form people, 50 enzymes, which are really important in making bile acids. Glyphosate, and detoxification. Well, yeah, they have a lot of things that they also light in deactivation. So that's a big problem for the side enzymes. That's been shown in rat studies, uh, tremendous strong side enzymes. Wow. <laughs> and the side enzymes have, have glycine dependencies. They've got, there's a beautiful paper that talks about the sequence. It all just, three just glycine. a beautiful puzzle. It's really amazing. And, um, and they also have uh, so that's another issue, the heme supply. Just a, a, a really good 
analogy here is a favorite of Bob Miller's. This is like playing 3D chess underwater. Yes, I know. It's <laughs> so amazing. You just go down these threads, you go down these rabbit holes all over the place. You know, it's really quite incredible. Um, so we'll see. Where was I going with that? The high, yeah, so then the bilases well, can't be synthesized. Yeah, so this was from excess manganese now? Well, we're getting the manganese. So we'll okay. start with bilases. Bilases can't be synthesized because the side enzymes are blocked. Okay. And if the uh, gallbladder is getting exposed to glyphosate, that's going to disrupt myosin, which means the gallbladder can't contract, so it can't release the bile acids. So you get bile acid deficiency, you get insufficient bile acids. Uh, and that's been shown actually to be true in, the, uh, in mouse models of autism, they have low bile acids. So that works, so that connects with it. But um, the, so manganese normally goes to the liver, binds to the bile acids, and gets carried back into the gut, bound to the bile acids, and then eventually gets taken up into the chylomicron and delivered through the lymph system, eventually to the vein here, goes into the heart, and gets into the general circulation. So the chylomicron is a transporter of manganese in the blood to deliver it to the entire body. But it depends upon the manganese going into the bile acids, which won't happen if the bile acids aren't flowing. So you get the manganese building up to toxic levels inside the liver because it's not moving out. And then the liver ships it out on the vagus nerve up to the brainstem and causes ADHD and Parkinson's disease, I suspect, from too much manganese in the, in the brainstem and too little in the cortex because it's not coming in from the blood supply. So you get an imbalance in where the manganese is distributed. And I even suspect that this, uh, uh, the Lyme disease, the Lyme disease uh, species, is a, it likes manganese. And I'm suspecting that it may serve a positive role mm. to redistribute manganese that's available in high concentrations, for example, in the gallbladder, picks up the manganese in the gallbladder and ships it around to the body, um, helping to distribute manganese to where it needs to go, but of course causing disease at the same time, which is often the case. I think a lot of these pathogens are actually doing something useful for us yeah. in the process of causing symptoms. And then when we acid. try to eliminate them, we're actually counterproductive. Yes, right. Yeah, so it's just so common. So, uh, it's beyond fascinating. It is. <laughs> it, is, it, is. I mean, it really keeps me going. I'm so depressed about the world situation right now <clears throat> in so many ways. So, but at least I have my papers that are so much fun. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and it is depressing, uh, especially everything that's going on. But we do have some good news, and maybe this is the appropriate time to discuss you know, the good news that yes. happened with Bayer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Bayer doesn't think it's good news. It's good news for those who <laughs> value health, that's for sure. Yeah. So they just had a recent, as we're recording this, a recent uh, victory in litigation that essentially resulted in a cumulative drop in bear stock by one-third. Yeah, so they have lost nearly $30 billion with the B, $30 billion. So that's a big, big number. And I think it's either 2,000, I think there's 11,000 lawsuits. 11,000 more. Yeah, they're pending. So it is potentially possible, unless they pull, I mean, they, they still have $60 billion, so they can buy up a lot of juries and legislators. Who knows? But it's potentially possible they can go bankrupt. I think so. Yeah, it is definitely without, if they bring about the problem possibility. And because you've done a magnificent job of compiling the damage of glyphosate, and, and the world is beginning to understand this widely. So eventually glyphosate is going to be gone, just like the AP. I sure hope so. But it doesn't matter because the same evil companies are going to come up with a derivative of it 
and, and go up, take it another 10, 20, 30 years. I, I really hope we could get the message out so well that people would recognize that we need to go back to renewable, sustainable. Regenerative agriculture. Yeah, it's absolutely the solution. 70% of the food is produced in the world produced by small farmers. Yeah, that's good news. It's just most of them aren't in the United States. <laughs> no, no, but you can do it yourself. We had Victory Gardens in the United States in World War II. It's, it's great. It's really a super movement, and I really feel like any young person who's looking for a career, they should go into regenerative agriculture. It's like so important. It's, it's absolutely, um, if we don't do enough of it, we're going to be gone. Our species is going to die out. Yeah, and, and in, well, in so many different ways, especially the planet with global warming. And you know, a lot of people may criticize me for believing that, but I do. And regenerative agriculture is, is a proven strategy, really one of the most effective to store the carbon in the earth where it belongs. I need to talk to you about global warming glyphosate because rubisco. Oh, okay. Rubisco. 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 Have you heard of rubisco? No, I have not. It is the most common protein in the world. Rubisco. Rubisco. And it stands for something, and I don't remember what it is. Okay, it's, it's a protein people eat. It's a protein that is in plants. Oh, it's in plants. Okay, sorry. It only, not in humans. Humans okay. don't have rubisco. It's a plant protein, and it's a, it's a crucial protein in the pathway that takes carbon dioxide out of the air and turns it into organic matter. Wow. It's the, the mechanism of how we prevent global warming. Exactly. And glyphosate has been shown in multiple papers to suppress it. <sighs> and it makes sense because it binds phosphate. Oh. Gosh, you just keep on coming up with them. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's Whoa. like, oh my God, this too. So I think glyphosate is a big player in uh, global warming. It's, it's, it's preventing the plants well, it's from taking Well, it's 5 billion pounds a year. Yeah, you have to put it everywhere. And every plant that's affected, and the risk of it's dis disrupted, and carbon dioxide, it, it, whenever an enzyme is, is not working well, its substrate builds up, right? Yeah. So all these plants are not able to use their rubisco effectively. Carbon dioxide builds up. I mean, it's simple math. You're yeah. going to have higher carbon dioxide in the air. So let's go discuss remediation. So glyphosate's in the soil. Uh, thankfully, I believe the, the uh, mycorrhizal fungi tend to destroy it and, to, and, and metabolize it mm -hmm. and get rid of it. Uh, so what have you looked at the metabolism of glyphosate in the soil well, and, yeah. and, and its half-life? Well, it's interesting because there are very few microbes actually that can break it down. Yeah. It, it's tricky. It, it has this CP bond that's very uh, difficult. And, and, and even it's the carbon phosphate bond. Yeah, carbon phosphate. And even uh, there are some uh, enzymes that can break carbon phosphate bonds in other molecules, mm -hmm. but not necessarily in glyphosate, as it's an unusual version of carbon phosphate. You know, it's okay. so unique um, that the uh, microbes don't know what to do with it. So there's only a few. One of the ones that can break it down is Acetobacter. And Acetobacter oh. is in apple cider vinegar. Interesting. So I love apple cider vinegar. <laughs> I can have it every day myself. I go through about a quart. Oh, good for you. Not a quart. Is it a quarter of a pint? I think it's a quart. Like every two weeks or yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. We, we make salad dressing. We have salad oh, yeah, for yeah, dinner. Yeah. And, and I think it can actually help you to break down whatever glyphosate's in your mouth. Because it'll get, get right to work. Uh, turning wow. glyphosate into useful phosphorus. It, it completely gets... So the end... The, bacteria they used to ferment yes. the the apples to apple cider vinegar is actually still present if yes. it's not past yeah present. you have to get like rags organic yeah, yeah 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 we make it too we, yeah, we okay. have something called keto cider vinegar excellent yeah so it's it's got the mother in it and it's got the active you know yeah. it's not pasteurized so right, right. It, those organisms can actually be, i did not know that so cool did not know that yeah i think that's really interesting and so i suspect
fact, a lot of people have said that apple cider vinegar is, is helpful, and I suspect one of the reasons is because it's micro, so you know, don't buy it that's been you know, pasteurized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, get it uh, raw, sort of thing. and uh, really great. And uh, there aren't, um, interestingly, like uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa is another microbe that can break down can break it down. And it's a major pathogen in yeah. hospitals. And I think it's flourishing because of this, this feature that it can break wow. down. So it's actually helping you out by clearing your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even suspect, I don't know if you've been looking at Cipro. Um, well, the fluoroquinolone. It's, it's, it's the most common fluoroquinolone. Yeah, fluoroquinolone as a class, and yeah. this uh, fox, getting foxed, you know, yeah, the foxes, yeah. all this bizarre symptoms that are happening long after you've taken your antibiotic. They're getting all kinds of weird problems with the joints, you know, uh, the Achilles tendon, they're getting uh, aorta. Uh, breaking open, you know, getting shortage. I mean, all kinds of weird things are going on, and uh, they look to me like glyphosate poisoning. The, the symptoms that are showing up long after you've taken this medication. So my suspicion is I'm trying to figure out, well, how does that work? And I, at first I was wondering if there was glyphosate in it, but that's not going to be enough to cause any problems because that's just a short term that it is, but it's lasting long after. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely long term. So it's a change, you know, some change that happens at the time you take the antibiotic, but what would be changing? Well, the antibiotic kills uh, anaerobic bacteria, and those are the bacteria that have the CPIase that breaks down the glyphosate. So it's killing, preferentially killing off the bacteria that uh, metabolize glyphosate, including Pseudomonas for which it's often used. And Pseudomonas, those bacteria are not susceptible to many of the other antibiotics, which is why you have to use something more powerful. So you're using it to kill off the pseudomonas, and if you succeed, then you've killed off the thing that's killing the glyphosate. So now you're glyphosate. You're still getting glyphosate because you've got the same habits, and you're no longer able to clear it, and therefore it's causing all these symptoms. That's a theory. Wow. That's interesting. It's fascinating. So uh, are there any more puzzle pieces you want to share with us? Or can <laughs> I we go on some all of the, day. <laughs> you know, so, but, so some yeah. of the exciting remedial things we can do. Obviously not cat. You know, eat organic. Eat organic is absolute. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the foundational basic. Yeah. Because I mean, you, you've got to limit the input. Right. Getting it, eating it is a good way to get it. Make sure that But it's before we go it. there, though, what about these, the, the, uh, the, the fungi? You mentioned two bacteria species. Right, the right. The Tinebacter and the Pseudomonas. What yeah, about the, the, no, Have you looked at that? Because I thought the fungi were, were, were more effective at breaking it down than the bacteria. Could be. Could be. I, I, I could be mistaken, too. I mean, I just, that was yeah, just my general impression. I haven't found that, but I should look for it. I should yeah, look for it. because I know the fungi actually are very powerful, and they have so many genes. Oh. You would expect them to be able to do more. It's like ninety percent, I believe, ninety percent of the microbial life yeah. in the soil is the fungi. They're so fascinating, yeah. and of course, I think the mycorrhizae are being destroyed by the glyphosate. Well, you know, what's the mechanism? Well, because they're susceptible. I mean, they're just, oh. they're just uh, Same. getting poisoned, just like everybody else. Uh, you lose the organic matter. I mean, I think the soil, the soil is losing its minerals, it's losing its organic matter. Uh, because of the glyphosate, it's going to mess up the organic matter. You can't, you can't break yeah, the Yeah, you you're right. Yeah, that, that, that so, fundamental, which was the rubisco. rubisco. Yeah, rubisco protein. Yeah. So you can't convert the CO2 from the air into the, into, right. into the carbon and so on. And it looks like it also messes up nitrogen fixation as well. So that's both carbon and nitrogen. And nitrogen wow. oxide is a much stronger greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. It's over 100 times as strong as carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide. And so you're going to have more of that if you can't bring nitrogen in. And how methane's in there, too, I think it's more. It's yeah, methane's a problem, too. And, um, and I don't know how. I'm sure glyphosate messes that one up, too, but I don't know the details of that. Yeah. So, so well, uh, before we go into how to remediate this, I wanted to go back to the glutamine again.
as just a minor tangent. It, some ways important because it gets to NADPH, but you, it's, glutamine is also a central role for glutathione, which is... Uh, well, glutamate is actually a component of glutamine. Oh, it's, a glut it's glutamic acid. It's not glutamine. It's glutamic yeah. acid. Uh, and Bob Miller actually said glutamine, so that, you probably remembered it from here. Yeah, so... I probably made a mistake, because it's, it's glutamate. Glut glutamate. Glycine. glycine is a member of the three. And cysteine. So glycine is important because it could be glycine. Oh, no, I know. I know exactly. <laughs> We're talking about glycine, but, but there's this... Interesting, so it takes glutamic acid yes. and cysteine, yes. and it makes glutathione. And, and glycine. Yeah. And glycine. Yeah, three. So it got all three, but the, the, the rate-limiting enzyme, I think, is glutamate-cysteine-cysteine. Synthe I think so, too. Yeah. yeah, so that, if that's, there's an interesting nutraceutical uh -huh. that actually activates that enzyme. Oh, interesting. Wow. So Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't that's it? so perfect. That makes sense to me. So rather than taking... So Horfing will allow you to build up your glutathione. Yeah, rather than taking very expensive oh, very, very interesting. glutathione supplements, which is really hard to get and yeah, very expensive, absolutely. you just that's take a little supplement, which is pretty cheap. I, I love Sephorphane, and I yeah. eat tons and tons of broccoli yeah. and Brussels sprouts yeah, yeah. So and all those glutathione vegetables. Yeah, they are full of glucosinolates that convert it with marasinase to Sephorphane, but... It, it, and that's then, but then that was when it gets to the glycine because that's part of the remediation. But I wanted to kind of. No, but frame actually, that. I, will, I will take that further because I have been studying glutathione. And glutathione, well, I consider certain molecules to double another role they play is as a storage form of sulfur. And I think that glutathione is one of those storage forms of sulfur because it has the, um, the sulfur containing amino acid cysteine. And it's very interesting when you look at glutathione. So there's a, an enzyme called GGT, gamma glutamyl transcriptase, which breaks glutathione sure. down into individual amino acids. And that enzyme is going up in the general population. It's definitely the rise of vitamin D. And I think it's some of this previous GGT, just GGT. for short. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it, hardly anyone tests for that, but it's a it's really, a really good test. It's a very, it's cheap. Yes. Very cheap. So it's just cheap. It's actually interesting they don't test for it. That's another Yeah, they just drop that out. Like, you used to have everything like, test all the time. It's pretty good Conspiracy now. theory, because yeah. it's, it's a really good, it's a much better predictor of heart disease, for example, than um, cholesterol. And it's a better predictor. It's a better predictor of so many liver disease. It's a better oh, predictor of liver disease than oh, the no question. ASGLT. So why, what is your, so and it's why is it going up against to go further? So GGT yeah. breaks about part of glutathione into three, three things, right? Okay. So those three things are very, very interesting because the cysteine can be a source of sulfate mm -hmm. if you can oxidize it, mm -hmm. but you need to be able to oxidize Suox. it. Suox. Suox, right. So Suox has heme, right? Yeah. And so the other two are the precursors to heme. They make the, uh, the pyrorane, that is the four pyrorines that go into the heme molecule. Mm -hmm. So you need to take the, um, the glutamate and glycine. Um, can go in to make the heme. Those are the two precursors to make the pyrrolein. So I think that the glutathione is a storage form of resources that can allow you to make suox because you need the heme, and to have the cysteine as a source to oxidize with suox to make sulfate. So I think glutathione is a storage um, so, form of sulfate in that respect. That is so beautifully elegant. Isn't that because it means that's like a role of glutathione, like never discussed. Yes. I mean, we conventionally think of that as, as the primary way you detoxify and you know neutralize these free radicals as glutathione, the most important inter intracellular, inter inter intracellular antioxidant. Right. So, but this whole other role is yes. just magnificent. So then you have sulfate deficiency because sulfide oxidase is not working in the gut, you know. And 
then you've got um, the good thion gets burned up making GDT in order to try and get the sulfate in the back. Wow. So you end up with a good thion deficiency in water. So this is a, maybe part of the strategy. I'm surprised you weren't aware of that. I just found out yesterday because I didn't wasn't aware of it either until yesterday, but I'm here, here at the event and there happens to be a, 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 one of the exhibitors who's really bright guy, his Brian Kornblatt, and he's did his PhD with Jed Fahey at Johns Hopkins, who is the world's expert in sulfarbate. I mean, the top guy in the whole That's world. Awesome. So he was he was explaining to me because I thought, what's the mechanism? I thought it was NRF two, but no, no, it's talking about this this glutamate glutamate cysteine synthase. I did not know that. Yeah, so it's got to be part of this overall strategy because I, I did I did I didn't appreciate is the fact that glutathione is so central yes. in this whole role. Absolutely. For glu for and this makes sense why sulfartan would say you don't need to because I'm here and I can become sulfate. So it's becoming a supplier sulfate. Wow, because we're getting, there's a lot of anecdotal approaches and there's some of the, 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 uh, re the presenters here are sharing stories of also they're getting incredible results in autism with the use of sulfartan. And, and I talked to people here who said that they have people who are sensitive to sulfur but are not sensitive to sulfartan. Which makes me think that it's making sulfate through a pathway that doesn't involve sulfide oxidase. Interesting. It's so fascinating because, you know, definitely we're going to, we're going to discuss sulfur augmentation, but it appears sulforaphane may be yeah. a strategy. It's a, it, I think so. And I'm really glad to know that it's something I do tons of. We just, we just love those consumers. So. Wow. Yeah. That is just, oh, that's just Incredible. That's really great. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we covered a lot of territory. Yeah, so what we didn't cover is that the we shared some of the exciting news about the bears going yeah. down. And this was the lawsuit, which he won just a few days ago. Yeah, yeah. The first phase. This is not uh, Dwayne Johnson. This yeah, is the second. one subsequent to that. Um, and I don't think it was even the same jurisdiction. I think this was in... Totally different. It was, yeah. it was in uh, uh, Missouri, I think. Yes. So, I'm not sure if it was yeah, so, but and there's 11,000 back in. So anyway, that's that's a tangent. The, 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 people are exposed to it. Everyone is, it, it, not everyone can afford it organic, which I think, I mean, that's true, but, you know, that's a justification sometimes. I mean, it's... I think they have to afford the, it. You just and have to, yeah. Or grow your own food. Costs. Grow your own food. Yeah, I know. There's ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cheaper. Do, you know, exactly buy it from the farmer's about. market, you know. But you got to be careful. you got to check the sources and stuff. Right. So, But, so... Sulforaphane could be a good source of sulfur. So let's talk about sulfur, and we'll talk about some of the glycine right. components. So the sulfur. Yeah, and uh, garlic is something I love. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't realize you were a fan of garlic. Yeah, garlic yeah. is an excellent source of sulfur. Again, it's, it's uh, sulfate sulfur, which I think is healthier than some other forms. Okay. And then I, I know you're not a big fan of some of the things that, uh, some of the things like MSM or yeah, I haven't. The MSO. Uh, or, I I just don't. I I think they're good actually. I've heard good reports okay. from people who've taken them, and actually my husband takes them. So, okay. Um, I don't generally like uh, drugs, as you know. Yeah, well, it's not a drug. It's, 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 I know, but, but anything that's not in a, in a recognizable food, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a rule of thumb that okay. I have. So I think I would take MSM if I were very sick. Okay. Yeah, so I wouldn't rule it out. And, what, and, it is, it's, and I haven't been able to figure out the chemistry of it. That's one thing that frustrates me because okay. I haven't been able to find So I still, still got this. That show me how it around. turns into Because it's got two methyls and a sulfur, which is awesome because methyl methylation yeah. is an issue, sulfur is deficient. So it's got all the right ingredients, yeah. and presumably it can do something with them, but I just don't understand the chemistry. I haven't been able to find. Yeah. It's frustrating. Well, you'll figure it out. I'm confident you'll figure it out. talk about how it gets turned into sulfate or anything. So, but the, the way that you inspired me to actually purchase a float tank, okay. which is, is a giant t tank filled with 
a thousand pounds of magnesium sulfate. You yeah. can take an Epsom salt bath, but you know, I'm just right. why not be able to soak it all the time? I love that. Yeah. And so you've been doing it. No, I, I, I'm still about two weeks away. Oh, okay. I ordered it like six months ago, but it's yeah. coming real short. Yeah, I really like that um, Epsom salt bath. That's one thing. That's your favorite, right? Yeah, that's one thing that I do. That's almost the only thing I do besides eating. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and in the, in the bath, you're reading your papers. <laughs> I know, that's right. <laughs> Are you really? I love a hot bath. So yeah, I'm I just guessing, but it makes perfect right, sense because right. you got to. You got to have you the time. Read, you yeah. can't waste the time because I'm very efficient. So, so that's the way to get the sulfate. But the other part of this is really crucial and ties directly into you, what you just talked about initially was the glycine. Yes. You know, and so, so I, I wrote a book previously, it's called Superfuel with James D. Nicolantonio, who's uh, informed me of the value and the importance of glycine supplementation, which is the yes. smallest amino acid yeah. review. And it's actually, you can buy it in bulk for really, really inexpensive. That's it's like $20 crazy. is like a year's supply. Wow. And it's, and it's a, uh, it's sometimes used as a sweetener. It's actually sweet. That's really interesting. Yeah, so it can be a sugar substitute. And you don't need a lot of it, like a, maybe a quarter of a teaspoon, huh. you know, who's about a gram, a little right. bit more than a gram, maybe twice a day. Wow. But it's a magnificent source of uh, glycine. Yeah. As a single amino acid. Now, I'm a little bit opposed. It's definitely not natural. Right. The natural form, ideally, would be organic bone broth. Exactly. And we do a lot of that. Yeah. My husband makes a big pot of soup every week. Yeah, because it then not only has glycine, but it has a proline and hydroxyproline. Right. It's all yeah. connective tissue. Right. Absolutely. This, this may be the problem. I just realized this, that eating so much meat can be problematic is because that has methionine. And you have really high levels of methionine, and they're not eating the connective tissue, so they get low levels of glycine. And it's this glycine to methionine ratio that's so critical. Oh, I don't know about So that. if you have to connect, you eat nose to tail, and you have the whole animal, yeah. including the organs, right. but the connective tissue specifically, you can balance out the methionine to glycine ratio. So, you know, that, or you can take it as a supplement. But why don't you talk about some of the dangers of, you know, collagen is another way to get this. And there's a lot of collagen supplements in the market. And I think and we... Collagen is dangerous because of glyphosate. Yes, that's what I want you to go expand on. Yes. Because, so why is it dangerous and how do we find out collagen protein that isn't? Right, so you, can, yeah. you don't have to get uh, grass-fed. Even, of course, grass-fed cannot be guaranteed. Yeah. But that's a problem because collagen has a huge amount of glycine in it. Yeah. And I suspect collagen is getting disrupted by glyphosate. And that's the reason why we have an epidemic and a whole bunch of issues with bone pain, um, joint pain, bone pain. We have back pain, neck pain, knee pain, foot pain. And all these people with hip pain, they're just having so much trouble with pain. Gosh, that pain. never, you know, it never occurred to me. It makes perfect sense. But this is this is a major public health warning. Major public health warning. Because collagen is protein is like in the news. Everyone's trying to take it. But in my experience, most of it is garbage. It's Capo chickens yeah, in China. It's going to be loaded with glycine. And you are actually tr trying to do a good thing by giving yourself glycine, but glycine, but glycine is loaded with glyphosate. Right. Very big problem. And in fact, uh, Anthony got went to the butcher and got a uh, bone. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and he, he Just a regular, not capo. Yeah, he made bone. sure that it was capo. And he oh. asked them. He wanted to make sure it was really low quality. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, he, uh, and he went back and he, he processed it and he tested it and he found glyphosate. You have to you have to break down the protein. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So he has these enzymes. He applies hydrochloric acid and just enzymes. He has a whole process. He's working out a procedure. That's another thing about glyphosate is you can get a test, a false test, 
on protein because if you're stuck inside the protein, you don't see it. So you need to process it in order to get it free, in order to be able to see it with the methods that they use. And so, um, so collagen, and he tested uh, gelatin, it had glyphosate in it. And of course he tested vaccines and found glyphosate in it. Oh, he asked this one, right, before we leave, we definitely wanted this, because you know, we're at a, an autism event, and obviously there's a connection with vaccines and autism. So yes. this is fascinating information, and maybe some of you have heard of it before, maybe you haven't, but why don't you expand yes, it? Because this really is really fascinating. Yeah, you um, really uncovered a good one here. Absolutely. And so he tested a whole bunch of different vaccines, and he consistently found glyphosate in the live virus vaccines as opposed to the ones that were just, you know, they just put antigen in and they put in some aluminum and stuff. There's these two kinds of vaccines. But the ones that are live virus were the ones that consistently had glyphosate in them. And the highest level was found in the MMR vaccine. And the MMR vaccine is the one that's very controversial with this idea that it causes autism and to push back on that idea. And, you know, Andy Wakefield wrote a paper published in 1998 in The Lancet that said he was observing that these kids who had, they got this gastrointestinal dis disorder after getting the shot, and then they regressed into autism. There were uh, maybe 12 kids that he had in this uh, case study of these kids that were exposed to the MMR vaccine and got uh, autism. Well, it's an interesting theory, but, and I'm no fan of glyphosate, certainly no fan of vaccines, especially MMR. But just to sort of play devil's advocate here, I mean, it's published a paper in 98. Clearly, the vaccines had to be produced before then, probably in 97, maybe right. 96. And glyphosate was, wasn't widely disseminated at that point. Yeah, it was around. It was definitely there around. Were only a few of them. So but, but I, you know, so the concentrations had to be relatively right. low. It has gotten a lot worse. And in fact, so now today, there's no question. Yeah. But in 96? Right. So maybe, so maybe MMR still causes the, the problem yeah. without the glyphosate, which is possible. Because I, the problem there's so many other mechanisms. But that was an interesting but, theory. And, to, and, and certainly could be valid today. Yeah, and MMR is much worse today than it was before. I took, I took the VARS database, Vaccine Diversity system and I divided it up into two piles, mm -hmm. the, the data before 19, 2002 mm -hmm. and the day, data after that date, and, um, and did a statistical analysis of the, of the uh, symptoms that were reported. And you saw a whole bunch of symptoms that were pretty serious um, that were much more likely to have occurred in the data after 2002 compared to before. And things had to do with swelling in the brain. And, uh, and why'd you pick oh, two why'd you pick two thousand two? It was the midpoint of the data set that oh, I was okay. looking at. So it was just arbitrarily cut in the middle. And it happened to be a time. Well, let me interject here. Was this is her up. specialty. She got a PhD <laughs> in doing this type of analysis. Yeah. So you don't you don't do it. Yeah. It went through a lot of data in both piles, so I just took the whole average over the time period. Uh, and very, very big differences. And autism was one of the things that showed up more statistically significantly more often after two thousand two compared to before. Interesting. So the supporting your, your hypothesis. Yeah, and so the hypothesis is really interesting because the MMR is live virus grown on gelatin, which is derived from all those ligaments from the big So, and that's the key because it's live, it has to have the fuel source has, and they use gelatin yeah. contaminated with glyphosate. Contaminated with glyphosate, I'm assuming. And, and, then, the, and then it well, goes yeah, into the protein. So the they're not going to have organic, grass-fed uh, collagen. SARS, <laughs> no. So the, uh, so the microbe takes up the glyphosate and puts it into its own protein. And in particular, there's a protein called hemagglutinin that's produced by the measles virus. And that's the protein that you need to react to in order for the vaccine to take. So the purpose of the vaccine is to get you to produce antibodies to hemagglutinin. And so it turns out there was, there's a, a group of people that have been studying uh, MMR in connection to autism for many, many years, going back to the 1990s. Uh, Professor Singh is the lead SINGH from Utah State University. Very fascinating work. And 
they showed that the autistic kids, they had a, a large group, something on the order of 100 autistic kids and 100 not, not autistic, and they showed that the autistic kids, many of them had a really high response. They did a really good job of responding to one of the glutamine produced by the measles virus and had a really high antibody response. They also had, um, those who had the high response, almost all of them had a uh, autoimmune attack on the myelin sheath because of the, something called molecular mimicry, a particular segment of the, of the measles hemagglutinin, a peptide sequence that is, resembles, very closely resembles, about 75% the same as a peptide sequence on myelin-basic protein. And so the immune cells got confused. So the, first of all, the brain got infected with the measles, the brain's immune system responded, and then the brain's immune system started attacking the myelin sheath uh, through this molecular mimicry process. And it turns out that I found a book that has a table where they showed a particular peptide sequence that is similar between my, about maybe 12 amino acids uh, that are uh, very similar between myelin-basic protein and measles hemagglutinin, and three of them on both, uh, both of those molecules were glycines. So they have three glycines that line up that are the same on both, on both molecules. Any of those glycines could be glyphosate, which could cause the immune system to get especially upset and be hyper-reactive to the molecule and then um, cause this autoimmune attack on the myelin-basic protein. So that's sort of my best explanation for how MMR could be causing autism. Let's take it to the other in the spectrum. Maybe you haven't looked at this. Um, good possibility, Andrew. But do you believe that another epidemic we're facing is Alzheimer's? Oh, yes. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, you talk about the myelobasic protein. So we've got beta amyloid in there and then yes. tau protein. So I'm wondering, in the brain, yes. you know, which are, it's not that, I mean, it's, I think it's an artifact. I don't think it's the cause. But it, nevertheless, there's a clear association there. So I'm wondering if you looked at any relationship between glyphosate and Alzheimer's. Well, I think it is. Uh, I agree with you that it makes the precipitated plaque is not the cause, but there's a toxic form of the protein that's dissolved, that's uh -huh. soluble in the cytoplasm. That is probably the cause, and also that it's. And what, what is the beta amyloid? Well, the beta amyloid normally goes in the membrane. Yeah, yeah. And, it's not, and, it's, and it's not clear what it does, but I think. I thought it was. It's extracellular. Beta amyloid. It goes into the membrane of the cell. It's not the membrane. It's not extra. It's not extra It might get excreted by the cell when it gets broken. Okay. So it ends up in the extracellular space because the cell collapsed. But it um, goes in the membrane. It's supposed to go into the membrane. Okay. And and there's a particular pattern of a me of membrane penetrating proteins that's well established, which is called a GXXXG. Three X's between two glycines is a pattern that shows up um, in the uh, in the trans in the transmembrane part that forms the helix that goes like a screw into the membrane. And uh, uh, amyloid beta has a GXXGX. TXXXTXXXTXXXT motif. <laughs> I say that three times fast. Four glycines, four glycines equally spaced. You know, it has this long TXXXT motif um, that causes it to go into the membrane. And they have shown that that motif is the piece of the protein that's problematic. Oh, and they've shown so, so it doesn't go into the membrane, it goes extracellular. If you change the glycine into something that's more water soluble, such as glyphosate, uh -huh. it becomes unable to form. The glycines are critical for forming the helix that holds the thing together in the membrane. So the whole thing falls apart if you start throwing in glyphosate. It's got this extra bulk and this extra negative charge. It's not going to be able to form the helix anymore. It forms beta sheets instead. They've shown this, not with glyphosate, but with other substitutions. They've shown that those alpha helixes turn into beta sheets. Those are soluble. And then enough of those beta sheets gather up and form these fibroids and precipitate out. And that's true also for um, some of the uh, prion proteins. You know, there's a, a deer disorder now called 
chronic wasting disease mm -hmm. in America, yeah. CWD. Really fascinating. There's a prion protein that's associated with that. And that prion protein, I looked at it. You can find these proteins, mm -hmm. by the way. You can search them. You can find the whole sure. sequence. It has something. I don't have to remember how long it goes. It's way beyond Alzheimer's. Like almost twice as long. GXXX, GXXX, no, okay. It goes on for like seven or eight glycines. Okay. Huge, long length of that oh, stuff. Gosh. So it's getting affected by glyphosate and causing. So it's the same mechanism? CWD. I think it's the same thing. It, it, with the beta amyloid not being able to integrate into the same cell membrane? Yeah, the prion protein oh, is most interesting. because of the glyphosate substituting for the glycine. So it, it is the, the observation with the Alzheimer's and beta amyloid is that it is exercise. But it's supposed to be it's in the cell membrane, and it's not the fact that it's not in cell membrane is what's causing the problem. That's right. And, you're seeing and it's not doing it. whatever it's supposed to do when it's yeah, in yeah, the cell yeah. membrane because it's not there. Yeah, yeah, so I'm it's both messing up its real function yeah, yeah. and causing this new function that's catastrophic. Yeah. So uh, I think that's, and, and Alzheimer's goes up exactly in step with glyphosate, just like autism. Wow. I, have you ever, have you talked about that? Please? I haven't, we haven't written in a paper actually, but Anthony's done multiple papers. Is it published yet? It yeah, we've got published papers. More than one to talk okay. about. I did a whole analysis of ALS too. I have a whole separate paper on that. Really, that's a tough one. A it's lot of times just think it's, there's a there's an infectious component there. Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah well, so I what, think it starts in the gut. Uh, ALS okay. starts in the gut, but um, but it's a disruption of the gut microbes by glyphosate. Very complicated story, but there's this protein called TNF. It's very tough to treat. Uh, that is a, one of the toughest to treat. I know. It's yes. impossible. It's so. Good. It's not impossible, but it is like it's one of the most challenging. I have not heard of it. So many diseases that you know. Conventional medicine is just clueless how to treat her. Yeah. Fundamentally, so I mean, they're easy as can be. Yeah. You can treat almost a hundred percent of them. But ALS is not one of them. Right. I know. It's yeah. so, it really seems so uh, irreversible. TDP43 is a protein that is associated with ALS. When people have genetic mutations in that protein, they have a big uh, increased risk, and they can get it early. And TDP43 has this glycine-rich region. We have a picture of it in our paper. It's amazing because it's this whole section that has tons of glycine. And there's a whole bunch of mutations that have uh, happened that are causing this increased risk to, to, uh, to ALS that are occurring in that glycine-rich region. And many of those mutations are glycine substitutions for something else. So um, it's all concentrated in that glycine region where all those mutations are that are causing um, the ALS. So really, really interesting that that protein could be affected by glyphosate. Well, this, could, this has been a wealth of knowledge and information. I really appreciate this. And uh, wow! So and when we covered your, a lot of territory. Sure did. Yeah. When, when does your book come out? Oh, hoping well, I have a deadline to have the draft ready by the end of January of next year, so I have some okay, time. Okay, good. So yeah, so you got plenty of time. We'll definitely have you on again, yeah. and maybe be able to squeeze an interview in with you because we're both going to be speaking at Bob Miller's event That's right. in, in September. September in Colorado. Yes. Which yes. Be that will be fun. Hopefully I'll know more by then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll do about. something. You might, might even have a little better audio. I apologize for the, uh, it, we only have one camera, and I had brought two cameras, but I couldn't figure out how to get the other one to work at the same time. So uh, we'll have two cameras next time. So. And we may have trouble with my microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. But, Hopefully uh, it won't be. This information is so fascinating. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think people are going to love this. This is one you're going to have to listen to a few times, because there's, you know, and, and you help, and thank you so much, because you really helped clear up some fundamental misconceptions I had and misunderstandings. But it ties it all in together. Yeah.
And once you once you follow it, it just it's just like oh my gosh. Once you know enough, then yeah. everything else becomes a piece that fits into the puzzle. Yeah. That's when it gets really exciting. Yeah. So thanks for all you're doing. It's Thank just you. magnificent. I mean, you need more people like you. And I'm, I know. you've actually been an inspiration to me too because I've been able to offload a lot of my uh, work responsibilities to essentially do what you're doing in yes. a different area. Where I'm, you know, I'm reading. My, my goal is to read about two thousand papers right. of a year, a whole paper, not just the abstract. Right, right. I know. Yeah. I do that and, too. Uh, it's you know, a major part of my time is spent reading. Papers. You know, it's one of the. I mean, it's a great thrill to, to treat patients and help facilitate their improvement. But I'm telling you, when you're in this discovery mode yes. and you read a paper and you realize something that's never been realized before, right. it, it's, it's, so like, it's like finding a golden a chest full of gold coins. You know, it's like. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I'm so glad to see you hear you say that because my husband doesn't appreciate how exciting it is when it's I like, these things. It's like wow, and it's not every day, but you know, on a regular, consistent basis, yeah. you're going to get these epiphanies. It's a real adrenaline rush. And yeah. it really keeps you going, especially with the world that's so depressing. Yeah. That's what it gives me joy. Yeah. So, so there's there's a something. there's a real important need that's there's so many puzzle pieces that someone's got to put it together. Yeah. It's kind of hard to follow. So I mean, it's going to force you to I consolidate know. it. Make it concise and clear, and walk them through it like you did in your book with right. Cynthia. Cynthia, right, Cindy. Cindy, yeah. All right, well, good. Well, thanks so much. Right, Appreciate thank everything you. you're doing. That was great. Thanks. All right.